you're listening to The Heart of It, the official leadership arts podcast. My name is Sam Smeltzer, and I am incredibly grateful and blessed and honored to be your host for this podcast. And thank you so much for joining me for the second episode in the 2017 Grateful Showcase. So if you're new to this podcast and you're not sure what the Grateful Showcase is, let me just fill you in a little a little bit. So the Grateful Showcase um, was basically how I launched the podcast. And the idea of it was really coming from a place of gratitude and taking some time and really sharing individuals who have empowered me to do the work that I do on a regular basis. People who have empowered me through a variety of ways, whether they have inspired me, they've motivated me, they have been in the trenches with me. Um, They have given me that aha moment that I need to see things differently. It comes through in so many different ways. And I know that this is probably one of the top struggles that my clients have is trying to find that support system or even coming coming to terms that you need support beyond um, one friend or having these unrealistic expectations of what that looks like. Anyways, so the Grateful Showcase was born. And so now this is the third time running. Uh, I always talk about how the first year I kind of copped out. I did a mental advisory board. So they were online individuals that really impacted me that first year when I was kind of hiding out and in denial that I was an entrepreneur and a business owner. Last year was the first year that I actually took a step down on a limb and started talking to people that really had an impact on me. And I just, I loved, I loved the conversations. I loved the interviews. I loved getting the time, the quality time with these people who have had such an impact on my life or who have meant so much to me, who have been so significant to me this past year and years before. And being able to say, number one, thank you, but also getting to just learn more about them and what they're about. And um, it's really cool to get a little bit of an inside look to somebody um, and then putting it into the bigger picture of how they've impacted you. So last week uh, we highlighted Tony Hernandez. So if you want to check out episode 54, please go ahead and do that. This week we are showcasing the incredible Douglas DK Knight. This podcast has been long overdue. I have been meaning to bring DK on for several topics. Uh, and it's just very appropriate that the first one for him coming on the podcast is the one where I get to thank him uh, because he's done so much for me. One of the biggest things that uh, Doug has done for me is, you know, in, in my professional career, one thing, one essential element that I have always needed to be successful professionally and in terms of business, thinking about business concepts has been people. I need people to help me make sense of it. So that comes to financial statements, that comes to inventory, that comes to, I have to put every process in a... Uh, in a broader scope so that I understand how it impacts the people. When I understand how it impacts the people, whether those people are employees, whether they are clients, consumers, whether it is um, third party vendors, whenever I can figure out the impact on the people involved, for some reason, all the other pieces then make sense. If you use a word like widgets or just processes, processes, um, 
that's not so clear to me. (laughs) And I struggled a lot with that in college. So one of the things um, that has always kind of been a little bit of a mystery to me, I, uh, on a handful of occasions, got a sneak peek into the nonprofit sector. And that was primarily through doing some community work through the corporate environment. uh, So you would get to volunteer on certain days. But I, I, I never really got the opportunity to really fully understand what that sector was about. And that's not because they weren't open or welcome to it. I honestly just never had a reason. Um, And, you know, I put this out there pretty confidently. I know that there was a whole worthiness component that played into my head of, I just don't know if I'm as good as those people who are out there doing that kind of work. Um, The fact that I chose to take a corporate job where I was making a difference, but nowhere on the scale or level that they were, um, you know, it's a whole nother playing field. So uh, on top of Doug, who refers to himself as the chief connector, on top of Doug being one of those people who really helped create a link for me to the nonprofit sector, help me understand the nonprofit sector, give me an inside look as somebody who's a nonprofit consultant uh, and what the vision is and what the missions are and really what that sector strives for in its entirety and what his views are on it and giving me that insight uh, and being the person that I needed to help make that make sense and also being the connector to connect me to people in that sector to help me make sense of that. In addition to that, he just overall makes you feel like you belong. Um, this is not a secret to anyone, but you know, I moved to York County when I was 16 years old. I was transplanted from Pasadena, California, Los Angeles County, uh, where I had lived most of my life, left all my friends and, and moved here. It was a little bit of a culture shock. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I struggled to find my place. Part of that was me resisting. Another piece of it was just trying to figure out who I was um, because I was developing in that identity kind of piece. And the last of it was I just ran into a lot of scenarios uh, consistently where I felt like I wasn't wanted or I didn't belong. Um, and that's something that has always kind of sat out there. Um, and even though I've had friends, um, I've had some incredible experiences in my local community. Um, you know, one of the, my really big hopes when launching Leadership Arts Associates was that I would find my, my place, that York would be my home. Um, and it would be a way for me to connect with my local community. Um, and I think I was a little naive and thinking that you launch a business and that just kind of happens. I, I definitely started to build some new connections almost instantly as becoming a small business owner. And I did get more of a connection, but not to a level that I wanted to. When I met DK, he really um, empowered me. He's someone who does not forget about me. So when there's a project that he thinks I should be brought into, if there's a project that I'm jazzed about, like the Gentleman's Architecture Conference, he has shown up and he has been there, but he truly has been someone who has helped me feel like I belong um, pretty much when I was at a time where I thought maybe I never would. Um, and that's something that is really important to me. It's a really a big value for me. And so... Um, I am very grateful for DK. 
Um, he has lifted me up in so many ways over the last two years, probably more times than he even realizes. Cause I don't think he, maybe he knew, maybe he didn't where I was when I would meet up with him or we would brainstorm, um, or our little interactions, but he really truly has, uh, provided that sunshine on some days where the clouds were coming in pretty heavy and pretty dark. So without further ado, thank you, DK. I'm so thankful for you. Um, but let me read his official bio and let's, let's get to the interview so you can learn more about this incredible man. So Douglas DK Knight, a nonprofit power consulting firm, dedicated to working with non-profiteers, small biz rock stars, government leaders, and education institutions who see a need for new policy practice and attitude in our community revitalization. And And that there's a better way for our communities to connect the dots to all our city's assets, resources, and that development strategy. Connecting assets and resources to impact community in roles as staff member, board member, and consultant. Doug has worked with organizations of various sizes and scopes to best maximize their abilities to provide impact in their respective communities. From fundraising to fundraising, strategic planning to event management, and everything in between, Doug looks to bring passion and excitement to projects and campaigns with organizations ranging from mid-size associations to small local startup organizations. DK is believer in the connection economy and is proud to share his take on how this new economy reality, how this new economic reality shapes our organizations, leaders, and events. And I forgot to mention that DK is the chief connector at the Connect the Dots movement, which is his nonprofit power consulting firm dedicated to working with nonprofiteers, small biz, rock stars, government leaders, and education institutions. So without further ado, here's my interview with DK. Enjoy. Well, thank you so much, DK, for stopping by Leadership Arts today and being a part of my Grateful Showcase. Thank you for having me, Sam. Um so let's just like jump right in here. Right. Let's learn about DK. Um, and we're going to start with probably one of my favorite questions. So how do you remember me coming into your life? <laughs> I always feel like you've always been in my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I you know what? For the life of me, I was I was coming over here today and I I I just trying to remember when was the first time. And it's it's hard for me to remember, honestly. I it, it honestly, it feels like you've you've always been here. You've always been doing things. I want to say it was some kind of networking thing that we probably you know connected up with, and there's been a couple of conferences here and there afterwards. Um, so, I, I, damn if I remember exactly what <laughs> <laughs> was the first time. But it, I, I don't know. Do you do you remember the exact moment? I do actually. And your story is very unique on how you came into my life. And I think you may just do this with everybody, which is why it's not unique to you. I think it's just your approach on life. Um, I'm, I'm sure once you start this up, I'm going to be like, oh, my God, that's I totally remember this moment. So the first time that I guess I met you, but I didn't really meet you. You were just there. Like, so 
I guess you became aware of me, is that the um, the Pano Regional Conference area, because this is where I met Tony. This is the only reason I know is because that's where all these yes. characters kind of came into my life. Um, and so you were there during my session. Mm-hmm. But what was interesting is afterwards, you like you did a follow-up. You must have gotten my business card or something. You did a follow-up to want to connect. Yeah. And I, I think I was really busy because... Um, I think you emailed, then you called, then you like followed me on Facebook. So I stalked you. Yes, basically. you did. Yeah. And then when you still didn't hear back, you used um, whoever, uh, I think it was Carol, Carol from Pano, who had invited me to speak. She called me and said, hey, I really need to connect you to <laughs> night. And like, uh, so I'm going to send an email and connect the two of you. And I was like, you don't have to do that. He's already reached out to me and I will reach that's out. That's right. I, I already got a restraining order for him. <laughs> It's okay. You know, that's that's really funny because um, now now it, it, it jogs my memory because when I first started doing some things with Pano and everything, I was amazed by how little York County was represented in a lot of the Pano stuff. So that was the first thing for me. Like, wow, that's a, I'm, I'm surprised. Just, just as not many people as I thought would be in Pano from the county. And then, obviously, when you were doing your thing, I was like, oh, wait, not only in the county, in the city, in right here, like... You know, the connection was just like, oh, good Lord, we gotta gotta connect up and see what this is all about. So that's when the stalking began. Yeah, and then I do remember the first day that we actually met because we met at the Green Bean. Mm-hmm. And the only reason I know is because it was the first full day that I had glasses for the first time in my life. That's right. Uh, and I could barely walk in them. And I just remember <laughs> I'm going into this coffee shop to meet this guy I've never met before, and I'm like, don't fall down, don't fall down. <laughs> I do remember that part. That's- <laughs> <laughs> like scanning the room, like I'm right over here. Hello. And I'm like, don't look down because the perception was not there. So, DK right. was the first person besides my family to experience the new Sam with four eyes. Four eyed Sam. <laughs> four eyed Sam. No, that's I. No, that's right. Yeah, and we and that was cool because we talked, and it's the it's it's my favorite thing to do when I'm talking to people is if you get that right vibe with somebody, you start talking about your personal thing. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's like, you could very easily have started with like, all right, let's get into business. What are we going to do? Let's strategize how we work together, how we're going to collaborate. <laughs> it's like, no, no, no. It's like, like I want to know about you. You want to know about me. And it was just sort of that thing. And, and it ties into what my value belief is for the work I do, which is value alignment is way more important. Mm-hmm. It's probably the most important thing for me. In terms of strategic planning of any size or scope, like align up with values. People believe what you believe. They're they're in alignment. That's a good thing to do. But you can't do that unless you tell your story, mm-hmm. you hear somebody's story, you match up stories. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I thought that was really cool to do. And uh, if I now I'm remembering, I'm like, this this could have gone on forever. And we're both like, yes. wow, look at the yeah. we got to get going here. <laughs> the yeah. time just went so fast, but. But it's 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 those moments I love because you walk out of those those meetings and you go, I don't even know what the it is, but we're gonna do it together. Yeah, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And I I totally dig that because there's not many moments. There, there's there's good meetings, there's fun meetings, there's exciting meetings. You get excited about someone or something, but then there's this. There's this whole other thing that's sort of like I don't even care what we're gonna do, mm-hmm. but damn it, we're gonna do something. Yeah, and I think it's very interesting because I think it's gone both ways where we've come to each other with projects, yeah. and it's just like, 
here's what you're doing for this project. Yeah. yeah. And the oh, should I ask first? Oh, I forgot that part. Yeah, no, I already figured you're going to do it. Ask. And people even call me out on that because sometimes I'm like, well, DK will do this. And they're like, you talk to him? I'm like, no, I got, yeah. I'll get to it. He'll know. As long as his calendar's free, he's got it. Perma, I'm a perma yes for you, Sam. I'm a perma yes. Just mark it in as yes. Oh, man. <clears throat> All right, so let's move on to the next question, which is um, what would you say is your purpose in life? What is your calling, personally, professionally? Maybe they're one and the same. I, well, it would be easy just to, just to cite what I say on my materials and everything, but I, I really do believe it, 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 and it's really at the core of what I do. I, I believe that... I'm not sure everybody has to have a purpose or defined right away. I think part of the journey includes finding this. So I'm not necessarily feeling like if you don't have an answer right away that, that what, what the hell's wrong with you. But I knew from a very early age, like this idea of the nonprofit sector, its strength, its, its purposeful work alone as an individual organization is one thing. But as a sector, what it can do and what it does do every day to benefit a community, to establish community, to define community. I love being a part of that. And uh, I, I found it a very, a very early age, you know, I'm talking high school, I guess, where the idea of community service alone didn't, didn't jazz me too much. But it was that idea of being a part of community service within the constructs of, of an organization. I loved that whole thing about the mm-hmm. push-pull of, like, you could start an organization and really make, make a difference in your group. I guess it was sort of the rise of social enterprise then defined this for me a little bit more, this idea that businesses can, can do well for their bottom line but also do well for their community. And both don't have to be mutually exclusive. Yeah. And, and finding those companies that sort of put a stake in the ground and said, no, I, I, we want to value that as much as our profitability. Mm. That matters to me. Yeah. I love that because that's the that to me is the hybrid of people who were afraid to go to the dot org. I, I'm from I'm a Gen Xer, right? So coming out of school, I always felt like we had a false sense of like you had to choose either dot com or dot org. Like find one way, you know, make some money or be dirt poor and make a difference. And I <laughs> and I, I always said to myself, well, I don't understand. I don't understand the, the logic in that. Like, wh- why is that necessary? Mm. Like. You know, and take away the old philanthropy, make a ton, a ton of money, and then give it away later on when you're older. Yeah. We, a lot of us don't operate that way. We operate under this, this sort of retail philanthropy. The bot, you know, Tom's shoes idea: mm-hmm. buy a pair of shoes because you need them, but you're going to buy those because why not? Because another somebody else is going to get a pair of shoes for your purchase. Yeah. And that's I'm always intrigued by that. So finding ways and connecting people who believe like that, and then. The bigger thing, which is really the drive that I'm, I'm all about in the last, I don't know, 15, 20 years, I guess, has been is, is building that tribe mm-hmm. and having them having everybody realize like there's power in that tribe. There's there's real authoritative power yeah. if you want it. Like you can really do some amazing stuff. And if we really think about it, we've always had it. We just didn't realize it because it wasn't defined this way. You know what I mean? So yeah. there's. You know, think think of businesses. I mean, your background in, in corporate HR speaks to this a lot. You got to retain, recruit, got to bring people on, and a large chunk of that recruitment is going to be the business, its culture, its benefits, the salary, all that stuff we know. Mm-hmm. But if that were just it, your business would be in a desert because it's a cheap land. It's easy to get. It's parking would be amazing, right? All this kind of stuff. But who's going to go there? Nobody would go there. Like, yeah. okay, you want me to go where exactly is this company? Like, th- the idea of the environment, the community, 
that I can work at this company, but my family can take a, a great art gallery and take in a movie over here and take in great restaurants and do all these other things is directly connected to success in the for-profit world. Mm. And the lion's share of those things are nonprofit driven, you know, great environment, great school, great houses of worship, rail trails, things like that's all nonprofit driven. It's not done by for-profits. It's not even done necessarily by government per se. It's done by the .orgs. And I love that juxtaposition. Like Companies that understand that and work with, beyond just their philanthropy mm-hmm. are going to benefit themselves. Like Their bottom line will be better. Yeah. You know, even though it's a good feeling, you, know, you get that ooey-gooey feeling of helping a nonprofit, but it's also a good bottom line. It's just you'll recruit better. Yeah. You know, I, I, our downsta- our down in the uh, revitalization happening in New York is a proof positive of this, where people are now starting to come into the city a little bit more. And they're coming for a myriad of reasons, but they're really coming for the bigger picture of it's just York, the brand York is adjusting. Mm-hmm. And that means in every different way, mm-hmm. you know, all, all the stuff that's being done. So I don't know. It's always felt like that's been a drive for me. Yeah. And, and, and I, I just, I love that. And I just, I love, I love working with nonprofits. I love working with leaders in the nonprofit sector. I mean, I even coming here, I had a great meeting right before this, this, this group that has this great idea and they don't have a, a damn clue about what they're doing in terms of operations, not a clue, yeah. but they have a great concept and they've been doing it, but they've been doing it sort of mash unit style, just enough mm-hmm. to get by, just paying the bills, you know, just, you know, mm-hmm. bandaid on a gash. Like, yeah, we're good. And I'm like, yeah, but you're, you're hemorrhaging people and resources. And I mean, eventually death by a thousand cuts, you're just going to yeah. fall over. You know, but they're ready. They they now realize like there's more to it than just the feel good. You got to have your stuff together, and I love connecting that purpose with passion and and all that kind of thing. Yeah. So yeah, it's I don't know. I don't I don't know what else I would do other than I'd be in a punk band. That's probably the other one. <laughs> <laughs> or a writer. Where you donate part of your proceeds to some. Yeah, I would pretty much give it away. Don't tell my wife. Yeah. <laughs> No, I absolutely love that. I mean, one of the beautiful things about when I started Leadership Arts is I got to have my first real experience with nonprofits. Because before, it was in the corporate arena Mm -hmm. where it's giving. It's part of what you got to do because that's what's the right thing to do. And, you know, the one thing for me, because my background is HR, is, like, I need people to make all that make sense. And I thought for a long time there was a lot wrong with me. Because I thought that you're just supposed to feel very called to something to give, especially, you know, growing up as a, as a you know, pretty strict Catholic, um, you know, that's just kind of built in there. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, that's how you get to sainthood. Yep. And even though I could totally care about movements, I never felt moved to, like, help in a certain way where I wanted to go, go out there with the movement. But um, it's been interesting working with you and then also and when we talked about Pano and and uh, Tony who's in the Grateful Showcase we were talking about Pano there but one of the things that really moved me was when I got in there and working with people who have the similar passion yeah. like you who are there and that that's when the whole thing came alive for me in a different way like I can hear the mission so different from those agencies when you're with the people who are truly there and driven by that yeah. that I, purpose I say a lot in the talks and the conferences and stuff I do that if you're if you're in the nonprofit sector, uh, you're in the people business. Mm-hmm. You're also in the purpose business for sure because your mission is established and you're trying to do certain programming and you're kind of doing all that stuff and that's true. But the bigger picture, the wider shot, which is what I always remind people to always take a look at, is that you're in the people business. So 
if you're hiring, you want to hire the best and brightest. That's always sort of a given. Mm-hmm. But you want to hire people that their values match the value of the organization. And that's not sort of like a, um, you know, we're both Catholics, so we'll just make it just Catholics can only do this. Yeah. You know, it's not that kind of thing. It's this idea that it's got to move you. Mm-hmm. And I talk a lot about the tuning fork in my chest. Like, I, I, I could feel it. I could feel it when it happens. And so I know when I'm with someone and my tuning fork goes off and I go, oh, shit, this is, this is something for real. Like, we can do something here. We can make something happen. And you just know it when you feel it. Yeah. I love that there are actual businesses. There are nonprofit companies that that's what they strive for. You strive for that tuning fork to go off. Mm-hmm. And that's, it's amazingly different from my brothers and sisters in the for-profit sector who literally can have a wonderful job and have two and a half kids and the picket fence and all the stuff that the trappings of what they think is success. And yet when you really drill into them, not too deep, by the way, you drill into them a little bit and you say like, how how do you feel about your work? Like the purpose or drive behind the work you do. And and they look at you sort of glossy eyed. Like I don't even, that's a different thing I do. That's something else I do. And I think, dude, that's like 90% of your life right there. And I, I just simply don't know other, another way that I would want to live. I, it, it's a choice thing, too. I mean, I I want to have that happen. So I want to be around movers and shakers that are really making hay. And I, I don't care what their checkbook number looks like. I don't I don't care what they drive. I don't I, mm-hmm. that stuff doesn't it doesn't matter to me. I and it's I'm also not looking for sainthood either. It's not that I'm something something that someone can't be. I just simply look at when it when it feels so good. I mean, I'll I think everybody will work demonstrably harder. When that thing, that right. sense of feel hits, so let's strive for it. Let's yeah. let's let's try it. I mean, what's the worst thing that can happen? You know, if if you if you try to hit that high mark and you don't make it, you're still going to kick ass, right? So mm-hmm. why not? Let's just let's let's strive and try. Like let's do it. So let's keep talking about people a little bit. So if you had to identify some individuals that were instrumental in making this pathway very clear for you, good or bad or indifferent. Who are they, and how how did that kind of come to light for you? Well, the the tee up was perfect with the Catholic thing, so <laughs> I'm Catholic also, and so my my family means everything to me, and uh, la familia is a big deal. I'm from a pretty big family, and uh, uh, just the whole tribe of us there, when there's a lot of us together. I just I love being around. I have twenty some cousins, first cousins, and you know all of us together. We're all in this amazing range where we've grown up together. You know, my cousins, I think more like brothers and sisters than I do cousins. And, uh, you know, there's that kind of sense of it. But if I if I drill that down even to something, it's my mom. Because my mom, uh, for a bit, my parents split because my father had a brain aneurysm and he had a health problem, which led to depression and all that stuff. And she held us up, you know. And she was the worker bee, the two jobs, yet I never missed anything. I, I started playing trumpet when I was fourth grade, and I was saying this the other day. I said, damn, if I remember anything, a performance, a jazz band orchestra, playing taps at Memorial Day, like all this crap I used to do, she was always there. And I was like, how is this possible? You know, because right. you're always at every baseball game I was at, too. And you're at my brother's baseball game, and you're at my brother's football game, and you're at every mm-hmm. halftime show I performed that, And every silly little thing I had to play for umpteen years, she was always at it. And I said, wait a minute, this is the same woman who's running a household of two brothers, two knuckleheads, mm-hmm. and, and two jobs. I mean, how is she doing this? And I was always amazed by that. And yet, while all that was going on, she was hell-bent on making sure that you look after the guy to the left and guy to the right. She was big time about watch watch over the greater good, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And I'm like, dude, how many hours in the day do you have? Because I don't know how she did it. And 
so when I got older and I started doing that kind of community service and got into my music fraternity and got into college and all that stuff and then my job, I, I almost felt like this is, I, this is what I've been doing. Of course I'm going to do this. So he, she was huge. And the other was my high school band director, who I always say, William E. Elwell, Mr. Elwell. You know, he was a hard ass. He was, I mean, we were a public school, but he treated us like we were in some military academy. I mean, we were a bad man, a jam, a band. I mean, we, 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 I went to one of those public schools where the band was actually, sorry to my brothers, uh, better than the football program. I mean, it was, we had more trophies. We had our own trophy room. Like we had this, I mean, it was pretty serious and he ran us ragged, man. And he worked our asses off. And with all that being said, he was the best mentor because he just, he constantly said about practice doesn't make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect, you know, and, and just do it so well because when it, when it's time to do it, you're doing it for everyone. It's not even about you. It's for everyone. So they deserve the best you can be. And uh, I don't know. I just – those two things, I'm like, damn, I, I want to – if I can give a tenth of that, if I could at least show people a little bit of that and some of that tenth rubs off on somebody, mm-hmm. I'd feel like a winner. I'd feel like complete victor. So part of, I think, my drive to deal with people, and especially non-profiteers, people who chose to be in this sector and say, I want to make a difference in life – I want to give them my all so that it's some way, it's some little way, if they grab just a flinch, a little, little, tiny little sliver or something, they can then turn around and say, now it's on you. Now pay that forward. Give that to somebody else. And I, I'm, I'm overly idealistic, I know, but I think if you do that, man, the thunderclap we can be making, that's what builds community. To me, that's, yeah. that's how community gets built. It's, it's one little speck at a time. Wow. So. Oh. So um, I feel like it's redundant asking a question about passion because I think that it just kind of, I want to say the word reeks, but that's a very bad word to use in this context. <laughs> Oozes. There you go. Oozes off of you. Because I was like, reeks is not a good context here. Um, but let's talk about, you know, when you're talking, you're obviously very passionate, but what are you specifically like obsessed with? Like, and this could be your your newest venture that you've been talking all about. But what are you obsessed with? I I really do have a love affair with the nonprofit sector. I do. I, I'm obsessed with with the sector and its pride. Like it, it, we're the third largest sector in America. There's 12 million people every day get up and work at a nonprofit. Now, that ranges in a lot of things because that's including colleges and universities, mm-hmm. healthcare system, but it also goes all the way down to the mom and pop where the, you know, the, the, the little community thing that closes the street once a year and does their one you know, potluck, whatever. Everything in between, all stripes and sizes, but there's 12 million of us, third largest sector in America. Like So much of what our communities are defined by are by the work that we do. And yet sometimes I feel like there's always a sense of like, well... We just take whatever we can get and be grateful for it and, and and don't push back and challenge too hard because we should just be happy with what happens and philanthropy is all about that. And one of my dear mentors um, from Washington, D.C. is an amazing guy. His name is Robert Egger. And uh, he said this thing and it's, it's so profound uh, and I don't think it's talked about a lot in the sector but he says that charity, which is a word I, I really don't like, but when he des- describes charity, he says, charity is mostly about the redemption of the giver and not the liberation of the receiver. Mm-hmm. 
And I, I, I think it's so right that, that we not, – not to be mean about it. We just – like it, food drive. We're, we're here in, in the fall, in the Thanksgiving season, and this happens all the time. And we all do food drives. And, mm-hmm. you know, what do we do? Well, we, we look in our pantry and we reach in the far back and we grab that lima bean you know, can that we, God knows when we bought the damn thing, but it's like, all right, there it is. And we give it over and we give it over freely. And we know the purpose of this and we want to do something good and we feel great. Mm-hmm. You know, our endorphins kick out and we, wow, yeah, man, that was awesome. we we'll give that. And then we don't, that's it. And, 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 but the point of this is to liberate someone from having to come back to this. Mm-hmm. Yet that's not the end result of what we're doing. And and I think we feel so good that we are, there's like a fog. It's not blind and it's not to be mean. We don't do this nefariously, mm. but somehow we don't think the end user, like, like, how do we get that person out of that line? Like that should be the goal. Like I, I know, cause you and I both do this where we do envision statements and we're putting people in a room and we'll go 12 rounds fighting for wordsmithing of <laughs> the verb, you know, to impact, to love, to engage, to the, and, uh, I have this thing where I've been doing for the last few years where I put a vision up and then under it, I write the same thing or this, a variance of the same thing every time. And I say, that should be your vision statement, no matter who you are. And it's the vision should be that our success is so strong, we close. Mm-hmm. And everyone goes, why? How can you, why would you do that? And I said, well, why, are, why else are we in this? Mm-hmm. Like, why are we doing this? And you could hear the palpable fear kick in for everybody because mm-hmm. then the executive director and their staff are thinking, well, shit, if we get, what, what would happen to us? And I say, your fear is misguided because if you hit this, imagine the impact you've just done. Mm-hmm. You're the homeless shelter ED and you wake up one day, the best day of your life would be to walk into that shelter and turn on lights and all the beds are empty. And you say, damn, nobody came in last night. Nobody used our services. Mm-hmm. homelessness is, is solved here. If you hit that, the first thing would be amazement. This is so great. The second thing would, I would corral all the staff into a room and in all hands and say, great thing just happened. We're not needed. We're done with this. Let's all collectively do the next thing mm-hmm. because that's your superheroes. If, if you hit, if you hit that, yeah. I mean, they are the last group of people that should be worried about where am I going to work? Yeah. Think of what you just did. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But we have this fear, we have this wrong way fear. And I, I sometimes fear cause I don't, I don't like to bash them, but the big nonprofits, you know, we, we do the, you know, the pink for breast cancer and we, and everything is a, is a, buy a blender that's pink and it, a little bit of money goes to this and they do great stuff on that. Mm-hmm. But it almost feels like we're, it's just a perpetual thing. Like, are, are we solving? Are we getting closer? Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not saying that there is some sort of conspiracy for the big groups that they don't want to, but we get on these cycles and we just stay on it. Yeah. And I, I, I wonder if, if, if at the very least our leadership just simply put the stake in the ground and said, I know that's damn near unattainable. But by not saying it, by not putting it out there, what in the world are we doing? Yeah. You know, I, I, I would love that. I would, I would, that would be the greatest moment I think in a, in a non-profiteer's life is to have that moment where you're like, mm-hmm. damn, we're done. We, this is checkmate. Yeah. You know, because I would immediately then, all right, boys, let's put the band back together and figure out something else to do. Right. Because I know if you did that, that means all those men and women who were with you on the journey, they're the rock star good people that you just take on the next thing. Mm-hmm. And you can almost just write your own script and say, what, what, what do you want to do? What's, what are we going to solve next? How great would that be? Yeah. When know? I think about it, I, you're, 
I think you're right on the money with <clears throat> everything that you just said. I mean, um, I'm blessed that I get to work with some nonprofit leaders, nonprofiteers that are <clears throat> struggling to find uh, not even just their purpose, because usually they know what their purpose is, they mm-hmm. know what their passion is. But what's funny is most of the time it goes back to that is that they feel disconnected from the organizational mission because they feel like they're stuck in a cycle and they want to yeah. make a difference. Yeah. And so they're like, we're not doing that. We're basically just sustaining the problem. Yeah. So that, I, it's a way of life now. It, that's right. Yeah. I, I just I just did a video on something that I knew I was going to catch a lot of grief for. It was it was about budgets. You know, mm-hmm. we're at end of year, starting next year, so all nonprofits are already thinking about their budgets and what they need to do. And end of year push, last of the giving, trying to get that last little bit of money to make your budget whole or not. And I I said something that I think a lot of people might think is a little provocative, which was, you know. We, we worry a little too much as if the goal of our nonprofit is to make the budget. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, these are just numbers on a paper. They're, they're, and most of the time, when you're starting a nonprofit, they're best guesses. And, and I know people hate when I say that. It's like, it could be intelligent. It could be based on science. It could be yeah. based on some good math and some good rudimentary whatevers. And your systems can be in place to give you some data. But at the end of the day, that's a piece of paper. That's a piece of paper. And if we're going to fight as hard as we do about the budget cycle and about the report of the budget, why don't we take that same bit of energy and do it for our programmatic work mm-hmm. and get our men and women moving and get them activated? Part of the reason that I call my group, it's not just Connect the Dots. It's Connect the Dots movement. And it's not movement as in let me everybody sign my petition and let's go raid City Hall. I mean movement as in actions, actionable, keep moving. We are sharks. We got to keep moving. We got to keep moving. If we do not, we sink. And I, and I think the sector is littered with these horror stories, but who's heeding the warnings is yeah. often where I wonder, like, we don't take it to the next level. And I think a lot of times it's because we're just, we're fearful of doing this because we're, we're fearful as a collective that we, if we, if we sound too corporate, if we sound too businessy, mm-hmm. if we say things like profitability or we say things like, uh, like, like I don't like to use the word charity. I'm much rather social enterprise. I'm most, uh, I'm much rather donors, investors, you know, these kind of stuff. I, I say that with intent. I mean, I'm very intentional about that because, you know, charity suggests to me after, after the fact, mm-hmm. like make money, then whatever you have left over extra. Yeah. It's not, it's, I don't, I don't want charity. I don't want charity. I want investment. I want people to say, I believe that what you guys are doing could make a difference. And I want to invest in that success. Mm. And yes, you'll get the donation and all of that stuff that comes with it. But at the end of the day, we give to things that we believe in. Yeah. We, get, we, we don't give for the tax write-off. We don't. We, we don't. Maybe companies sometimes do and maybe <laughs> things like that. But individuals, if it moves the needle, if, yeah. it, if, it, if the tuning fork goes off, we're, that's where you're going to give to. So I just, I just sort of think all these things are sort of inter- – to me, it's always – they're always interconnected. They're, all these things are matter. And I think the best organizations, the ones that really pop – are the ones that it starts from the very beginning, how they hire people, how they interview, how they talk to, you know, it, 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 you, you know this again, HR, you know, it's, yeah, you're interviewing the company, the company's interviewing you, both of you are evaluating one another, and hopefully there's an alignment of value in there. And if, if because if it wasn't that, you know, why would we inter- Why would we even worry about people yeah. skills, soft skills, why would we worry about that? We just look at the paper and go, yep, you hit all the metrics, you can come on. Mm-hmm. And we know groups like that don't last. They just, <laughs> they just don't last. It's much... What's stronger for me that, that that's why I think we're in the people business, mm-hmm. you know, because at the end of the day, it's always it's going to come down to whether it's your client, your customers, your staff, your board, your volunteers, your donors, your legacy. It's, it's people. Yeah. Wow. 
So can you remember when you first had this passion ignited for the nonprofit sector? I think so. I think. I think I had done some stuff as a kid with my mom that I, I probably that plays into it. But when I got to I got to middle school, um, we had moved from my family is originally from Scranton, Pennsylvania. Okay. And we moved uh, to Portsmouth, New Hampshire in going into my sixth grade year. So pretty much my whole six to 12 was high school in New England. When I first got there, I was in this middle school, the middle school band program. And it was, you know, it was literally like the JV of the high school. Like it was a feeder. It was set up with a lot of the same systems and the same teachers and everything. So it was like the proving ground. So when you get to high school, you'd be ready for this. But we had to do a lot of fundraising. We we did because we traveled and we did, you know, we do these parades and, you know, going to Boston or wherever. And, um, and so there was this immediate need to fundraise. And I always thought it was amazing that what I thought was fundraising, what I, as a, as a little kid was, you know, sort of, can I, can I have some money to do this? And I thought that's what we we're going to do. And then I realized like what, what the parents and the, the, uh, music parent teachers organization was doing was sort of setting a, setting a, a more of a story for us to share with the potential donor and like, you know, we're, we're doing this and we're performing here and we want to represent our community and all this kind of stuff. And it was, it was more than just, can I have a dollar, you know, can I do this? And I I just really love that idea that we took it so seriously, even as little kids. Now I think about it, it's it's insane. We're in seventh and eighth grade, you know, doing this. But then we got to high school and it was the same thing, but bigger because now we're traveling even larger, doing bigger events, traveling to Virginia and DC and all stuff. And, it's like, okay, we're going to fundraise this. And we had teams, and you competed against members of your team. <laughs> you know, would go against other team members. And they're just like people in the band. So you practice all day, and then at night you're going with your team and figuring out, like, all right, we're going to sell subs for the Super Bowl, and how much are we going to sell them for? It's, you know, it was nuts. It was kind of crazy. But I think I got the I got the bug with that mm-hmm. because while we're doing all of this, we played the senior centers, and we played at, at North Church downtown, and we played – you know, in the Christmas time, everywhere and anywhere as a trumpet player. So I had to play everywhere. And uh, it always was in connection with community. It was never alone. You never sat back and said, we're the baddest band in New England. So, of course, people are going to pay us to go to somewhere. It's like, no, we're going to earn it. But while we're doing that, we're going we're gonna to showcase what we are to our community so that they feel good about us. Like I, 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 I think he always strived, Mr. O will always strive for us to think, the parents that don't have kids in this band should be the proudest of this band. Like, I think he wanted people who had no connection to the music program at Portsmouth High School. I think he wanted them to be the proudest. Because if you do that, then you're on to something. And I swear to God, I follow that same rule now. Like, when I'm in a room, I, I don't know if you do this when you speak, but I, I sort of ID the person who I think, okay, you're the least interested in this room. <laughs> so I'm going to turn you. And if I can get you going, oh, just go to nod in your head a little bit. If I can get that, then I think I'll get the true believers. I'll get the people who walked in going like, yeah, I can't wait for the speech or I can't wait for what the topic is, not even knowing who the hell I am. But that one, you always find that one person and you're kind of like, okay, your skepticism is my, is my fuel. I'm going to, I'm going to get you to turn. And, uh, I think that's the same kind of thing. Like that drive, I, I don't know. I, I somehow I wish I could bottle it because I, I don't know what the hell it is. I don't I don't know what it is, but I, I, I like to have it. I like to make sure I always have it, but. 
I know. I'm having clumsy Wa- water. It's water a water battle. Issues. <laughs> this break sponsored by water. <clears throat> but if you could bottle it, I think that would be a very successful for-profit business. You could yeah. probably help a lot of people. So maybe you should I look into I could. that. Sam, I am water. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, can you tell us about a time when you like stumbled upon an unexpected possibility? So something that you wouldn't have predicted would be really an opportunity for you. And it kind of just appeared and you ran down that path and it turned into something pretty freaking amazing. Yeah, I love um this should state the obvious for a second. I'm a bit of an extrovert. <laughs> Shocking. No, I know. Not. Just for your you're listeners. Such a liar. Just for your listeners. I want no one else to know this. This is exclusive to Sam I am. I am an extrovert. <laughs> uh, I, but I remember um I, 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 I said I love to do what I do, but somehow how I fell into this, I was, I was more of an operator consultant at first. I was mm-hmm. in a consulting house that our pods had four or five guys on, on a clients and, you know, blocking and tackling, doing either the marketing side or the production side, you know, lights and gobo gels and all that kind of shit. It was fun. It was a lot of fun. But um, with being a musician and being on stage and on football fields and college marching band stuff, like I, I, I love, I love it. I love being on stage. I love that whole, that whole vibe. And I liked to do it, but I just didn't know how to. I didn't know really what I wanted to do with that. And at that point, I don't think I was sophisticated enough to go, just put up a shingle, man, and start, start slinging yourself. Hmm. And uh, I went through an event management program at George Washington University because one of my managing directors was a, an instructor, and that got me into it. And then I went through it, and I loved it. And while there. Uh, I had somebody ask me if I could speak at this conference that was coming to Washington. And I was like, yeah, okay, that sounds good. And I got up there and I really loved it. I said, man, this is a lot of fun. And then two other people in the conference said, hey, can we talk you to come into our thing and do a talk there? I said, yeah, sure. And, and then what really hit me was I got to do my first TEDx talk. And I thought, okay, I don't deserve this now. Like, <laughs> I'm not sure. Like, because all I heard was TED. <laughs> and I thought, no way, man. That's a main stage thing. That's a serious thing. Mm-hmm. And these are the TEDx's that are now all over the place. Um, but I got to go and do a talk in Flint, Michigan. It was my first TEDx talk. <laughs> and uh, Flint's an awesome town because it's it's blue collar redefining itself, trying to figure out to try to get off the off the mat. You know, it's mm-hmm. the vehicle city, which not doing any vehicles. You know, it's one of those things. And uh, I talked about politics with purpose. Was my was my talk. And I had it all together, and I was ready, and I had a Prezi deck for it, and I was so excited about that. And the whole AV went to shit completely. I got two seconds into it, and I could see behind me. I could just see it because, like, the the lights are going weird. And (laughs) and I'm looking at the guys on the side, and I'm like, we went over this at the the AV test last night. For You know, you you said you were understood. Well, what I didn't know is – most of the presenters were doing PowerPoint. I was the only one doing Prezi. And they had it on a laptop that was just maxed out and the thing just crashed out. But I was enough of a speaker where I don't, you know, obviously talk to those, you know, I just kept my thing going and just did my thing. Audio sounded awful and I was just like, screw it, you can hear me, I'm loud enough, I'm just yelling this whole thing. And I had so much fun doing it. Then I got another TEDx from it, which was funny because I didn't think it was very good. I was sort of ticked at the end. But... 
getting into that, starting to do the speaking thing was absolutely amazing. I, 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 that's probably the thing I love to do the most other than maybe the strategy, building strategy with nonprofits and figuring out what they need to do. I love the idea of just being in an audience and hopefully giving them something. You know, as I said, if you get one thing out of my talk, I'll take that as a victory. And I'm sorry for the 99% of the rest of the, <laughs> that was, wasn't for you. But if you can get 1%, I'd feel very excited about that. So I, I try to invict a little bit of humor and, and try to inject some fun. And, you know, I, passion hopefully comes out in, in just naturally in an authentic way. But uh, it also reminded me, like, have your shit together. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because <laughs> I do talks now to people to help them prepare to do presentations. And I say the first rule is uh, don't worry about this crap. You know, you put it all together and be happy with it. But mm-hmm. assume this breaks. Murphy's yeah. Law is he's here and he's going to break your laptop. So just assume that won't work. That way you're not relying on it. And just do your thing. So true. You know what I'm talking about. Like you get out there, and it's like you're on an island, man. Now it's time for you to work. So and that applies to handouts. I remember for a long time I was like a handout. I got a handout. Like I don't need to know like word for word what's on the handout. Like I can use it as a guide. And I will never forget the day that I had too many people in my session, which is a great thing. <laughs> That's right. That I had to give all my handouts away, and I was like, great. I now what I got. That <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> so yeah, yep. yeah, it's great. It was one. Of, it was it's it's so fun. I mean, I love doing it. I just <clears throat> I just generally like to do it, and uh, I, I just I don't know. There's there's something to be said for. Uh, I had to do another talk where I talk about community being like jazz, mm. and I'm a big fan of this. Like, it, there are a lot of things that happen where people are really good at a certain thing, and they're you know they're a maestro in their instrument, they're an expert at their instrument. But alone, it's just a solo. Mm-hmm. That's fun, but it's not going to be the full thing. But if you get everybody together, and they know the key, and they know the time signature, and they just kind of a little bit of one, two, three, there you go. Mm-hmm. And then off we go, and we can create stuff on the fly because everybody's a good expert at something. But together, the thing is an expert at something. Yeah. And it, it applies to public speaking. It applies to board recruitment and board retention. It applies to fundraising. It applies mm-hmm. to any kind of strategy that you want to put on. Like We are better together when you have experts in the room, experts however you define that, and are willing to listen and work like a jazz band does. Because you can be the greatest jazz band player in the world, but if you don't listen to me when I'm starting a solo and you're playing loud, then we're both screwed because it's going to sound awful. Yeah. Like you're going to have to back down while I play. And then I got to be savvy enough to know, like, it's not the Doug show. I got to come down at some point. Someone else is going to come up. And, you know, and just knowing how, and, and jazz musicians are always amazing at this. And that's why I, I sort of love the genre so much is like they just know that, you know, they just they sort of play off each other like it's. It's, it's also, it's my turn, you know, <laughs> I'm going to go now, but they don't have to do that. They just kind of just sort of happens. And I think the best that happens in a nonprofit, best that happens in an organization of any kind, quite frankly, is when you have that level of comfort and trust, you know, that's why I say the connection economy is built on trust and relationships. That's the new mm-hmm. currency for me is trust and relationships. If you build that, there is so much you can do, even if you don't have the budget, even yeah. if you don't have the client work, if you don't have but if you have trust and relationship, boy, oh, boy, you can you can move the needle on a lot of different levels. So it's just, you know, finding yeah. a lot of stuff. I'm a rambling fool today, man. You could. It's all good stuff, man. <laughs> all right. Last one. Yeah. Um, in what way do you feel empowered professionally? And when I ask this, I'm really asking for your professional superpower. Hoo-ah. What What makes me feel empowered? 
Uh, yeah. Or like as a professional, you know, I think when you're empowered, it really is like us. Almost makes you super yeah. human. Yeah. Um, when you really feel like you. Yeah, you know you're in the pocket. You could feel it when you're in it. You mm-hmm. could feel it when you're in the pocket, and you feel real good about that. And I, I love. Um, well, I, I I sort of self-identify also as a positive disruptor, so I like when we're doing things that are intentionally trying to disrupt what we have done in status quo. Mm-hmm. So I like when I'm with organizations that are willing to do that, and and whether they actually want to deploy on it and execute on that, I, that's that's an entirely different thing. But the fact that they're willing to have that conversation, I I, I think a best example would be the conference that you just produced. That, that I was so honored to be a part of with the gentleman's architecture. Like, there is an argument to be made that the moment that started, that should have been a 14,000-seat arena, and then we should all have it in there and all day, and, you know, big public, you know, just boom, back, boom. But that didn't, that didn't materialize year one. And so very easily you could say, well, then is, is, does that mean from there to there, that means that's not, it didn't work as well? And I say, hell no, because what it did was it planted this amazing seed. Mm -hmm. The fact that we were able to say, let's disrupt this notion. Let's disrupt this in our way. And that little pebble in the pond, I said, I said to the fellas, because I I was so honored you asked me to be the first, the first one out of the shoot. So I got to lay a little bit of the groundwork. And one of the things I would hope that I got for the fellas was, I said, you're part of this this pebble that just hit the pond, it's going to ripple. And there's going to be so many more things that come from this and generate from this. But you, you collectively all in the room here, you are the genesis of this. This is the alpha, you know, and that, and there's, there's a pretty neat thing. I, I, sort of like a, the double entendre wasn't past me at all of saying alpha, like the alpha male thing. Yeah. And to say, well, there's also this idea of like the first, like you are going to, lay the seeds and the groundwork is going to be set because of what you did the collective view. And then it was great because that whole thing manifested itself throughout the day. Mm-hmm. And, and before you knew it, like the day was over and there was a sense of like, ah, shit, it's over. Like, that's, <laughs> like yeah. I almost felt like I'm on a second wind, man. Let's go. Let's keep going. But then you realize like, okay, here's what's going to matter now. You know, we take our thank yous and we take our bows and we go home and we rest a little bit. We think about some stuff and then we're back on the horse here in a month yeah. or two. And we're saying, all right, here we go. But when we do it now, we're going to have this added level of empowerment when we go to someone and say, not only do am I going to ask you again, you should be here, but I'm going to tell you, you're a fool if you don't, because the things that are happening, man, are going to be so right up your alley, ready to go. Yeah. And there's something cool about that. So it's empowerment to me is that tuning fork. Mm-hmm. Like that's the thing that jazzes me. When, when somebody gives permission to say, let's look at it a different way, whether it's fundraising or strategic planning or communications you know, how many nonprofits do you know that don't know a damn thing about social media? They think they do. <laughs> you know, we have 45 friends. Like, oh, great. What the hell does that mean? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> but you, you, you get excited when they're willing enough to say, I, I'm willing to say I don't know enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm willing to say I'm willing to work. And I'm willing to say I'm willing to learn. And I'm willing to say when I'm ready, I'm going to turn it loose. Like, I love that. No matter what level that is. I totally dig on that. I would fear. I fear more for groups when they when they pass on stuff, because it's the what ifs that that drive me nuts. What if we did this or what if we did? D- don't wait for the what if. Yeah. Like, tee it up. Let's see what let's see what it is. Like, if it, if it's good, if it's really set within your values, there's no lose on that. Yeah. There's none. You know, and I, I don't even think it's sort of like a gamble. I because gambling suggests a little bit of luck or or a mm-hmm. sense of dread. 
And I'm like, how bad would it be if we did a, you know, a men's conference and four guys showed up? How bad would that be? I look at that in my, my picture and I go, that, there's, there's, there's a lot of things that you could say on the surface look not so great. But what about to those four? Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. So I was like, hey, man, whatever the number is, let's, let's give them the show. And that's why I didn't change at all what I did for my presentation. I didn't change a thing about it. I still wanted the presentation. I still wanted to be up front. I still want... I don't know. I don't, I don't, 50,000 people, 50 people, five people, me. I don't know. It's, yeah. what's the difference? You know, I just want to, just want to put it out there. So empowerment's a big deal for me. It's, yeah. it really is. And it's that idea of the best, the best superhero power I can think of is if you can give a little bit of that power, mm-hmm. you know, cause that's pretty badass. Cause you could see it on the person, like yeah. when they know they have it, like, Oh, ready. Like, yeah. Fly birdie fly. You're ready, man. Let's go. No, and I, yeah, I wholeheartedly, I mean, the men's conference obviously has a very special place in my heart, and the fact that it came to life this year is, I mean... Your turnaround on that was amazing. Talking about the the tuning fork, that's something that vibrates so strongly within me, and uh, and I, you know, running it, we had a smaller group than anticipated, but running it allowed us to realize how powerful it could be. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, because everyone out there who had, and everyone has an ounce of skepticism where you're mm-hmm. going. Like, even if you're all in, you're like, uh, I don't know. Like, we put this all out there. Is this really what's going to happen? Because yeah. there's this piece that when it all comes together, but every feedback that I received is like, everyone said, any expectations that I had, any concerns that I had, this greatly surpassed it. Mm. And I... I mean, I'm obviously I'm I'm very grateful, and that's part of the reason why a large part of my grateful showcase is a couple of the architects that helped bring that to life to me because I jumped in. <laughs> you guys could have let me sink, or you could have helped me swim, and you guys kept me afloat even when things were hard because it was you know being at the level Genesis. It's it's hard. Oh yeah, you're you're trying to figure out when you take risks versus not take risks, and. I was very blessed that I never thought for a second that any of you were really going to say yeah. no. Risk sounds good when you're not the first through the door. Yeah. You know what I mean? It really does sound good. But when you have to say to yourself, like, okay, I'm first through the door. I might get the arrows. You know, the the, yeah. the, the arrows of doubt, the arrows of criticism, the arrows of, of contempt, the arrows of, you know, just blasé, don't care. You know, this the cynicism of it all. You're going to get those. And if you're not in the right headspace or you're not the right kind of leader, that could really knock you down. I mean, because already, no matter how you feel, and and, and this is why you were so great about putting this together, you were predisposed because of the work that you do to to realize the bigger picture, always seeing the wider shot. And so if if you looked at it simply like, well, it didn't meet the expectation that I thought it was. You know, some people would actually say, well, let's dial down the expectation. And I look at people like that, like, what the hell's wrong with you? Like, the beauty of this is the expectation is big. Mm-hmm. Like, I want Game Changer. Yeah. I want I want to move mountains, man. And when it doesn't, I'll sure as hell be at the bottom of the mountain pushing. Yeah. And then when it's done, I'll take a break, I'll wait for a second, and then I'll huddle back up with the team and say, well, how do we move this damn thing? Yeah. We'll figure out a way, you know. But I, I love that. I love that spirit, that drive. And... The, Simon Sinek is talking about this. I'm really intrigued by the infinite game thing. I haven't heard about this. So he, he says, you know, the world is sort of built around two. The, the, there's the, the finite game and the infinite game. And most of business is an infinite game. There's actually no winning. 
you don't win business. You, you, you don't. You just you perpetuate. You move on. You might outbeat somebody in a customer silo kind of style, you know. But when a customer, you know, you hear a store say like we're, we have the best prices relative to what exactly? You know, we're the we're the best store. We're the number one gentleman. based on what exactly? Like you can make up anything and call yourself the best of, you know. <laughs> but like the Cold War was an infinite game. There was no winners and losers. Like, because because both recognize like if we really played this, we all lose. Mm-hmm. So we just sort of played this thing until one dropped out. We didn't win as so much as the Soviet Union just sort of dissolved. We didn't have a player anymore, mm-hmm. so we won by default because it just sort of didn't happen. So he, he talks about this in business, like you know, we we focus on these amazing goals that we think are the victors and stuff, and but here's these little companies that just keep doing their thing. Like he, he, Simon has a talk where he talks about he spoke in the same year at a Microsoft conference and an Apple conference. And he, he said at the, it was amazing the difference. Like he was at, here he is at the Microsoft conference and they spent a huge portion of their time talking about Apple, talking about their competitor, like how we're going to beat them. And this was the time of the Zune, you okay. know, and all yeah. that stuff. And he was saying about how it's amazing. You gotta, you gotta Google this. It's funny. He's talking about how this thing is. And he's even jiving the guy who picked him up at the airport and, and saying like, you know, I did also the Apple talk and they, they, all they wanted to know was like Intel and Apple was going on. But at the Apple conference, they spent zero time talking about competitors. And they spent all their time talking about what they value and what they should do next and what the new thing is and how they're going to refine their, their tools and their craft, regardless if you're an Apple fan or not. Regardless if you think Apple is the best of the computers, they don't say that. They just say, this is our community. This is who we are. This is our culture. Mm-hmm. And if you're down with us, Awesome. And if you're not, well, maybe we'll get you next time. We'll get you on something. Yeah. And he's, he's, the vast difference is the difference between playing an infinite game and playing a finite game. And I think, I think for community and for nonprofits, mm-hmm. like, we spend a lot of time in this infinite stuff. Like, did we hit our budget? Did we make our goal? Did we make our, our – and we, we, we think that's the goal, the win. Yeah. You know, it's like these are landmarks. These are, these are moments that we can gauge ourselves from. But that's not the win. If you're if you're under budget, undervalued, what what kind of win is that? You know, I, if I'm supposed to be helping students in New York, and I say, "Good news, board, we're 35 percent below budget," and just stop right there, you know, does that make us a good youth nonprofit? I didn't even talk about programs. I didn't even talk about kids. I talked about a budget. That just means we're good at math. I don't know. That just <laughs> doesn't make sense. Like, that's a finite game. Like, what are you playing, man? Look, we're supposed to be playing the game to help benefit kids. Yeah. I'm not saying blow the budget out of the way, but if you stopped right there, that's, that's short-changing right. stuff, you know? So I don't know. It's stuff like that is always amazing. I, I love to keep that stuff, like learning new things that are yeah. popping up and then realizing they're not so new. They're just sort of reminders in a different way that maybe resonate and you go, oh, we've been doing this all the time. Like, I kiddingly say this half the time, the work I do, I say, I don't create anything. I take chairs in a room and reorganize them. Mm-hmm. And then you say, look, there's a line. You know, <laughs> and yeah. That's all I'm doing. I'm taking existing assets and trying to figure out how to use them. And that's, to me, the connection economy is the exact same way. Like mm-hmm. we just, we have assets in place if you know of them, if you're connected to them. And if you realize like their alignment can match with yours. And if you don't, you'll be over here in your own time, figuring out your own thing while 20 steps away, there could be something very, very similar that you could be working with and you'd never know because wow. you don't, you know, you don't take time for it. So that sort of community brokering thing is yeah. uh, to me, just that, that does a real interesting way of sort of defining community, what they are and what they do. So. Wow.
so, so great. All right. So now, I'm like, stop talking, please. No. I would tell you to stop. That's enough, DK. Mm. <laughs> no. Uh, so we're going to do some fun questions now. Cool. So these questions. Huh, I used to have like these really random, like dorky questions. Lightning round. Let's do it. Yeah, we'll see if you can do these lightning round. Tony we'll really struggled with oh. these. <laughs> well, I want to beat Tony. Let's <laughs> yeah. just talk about infinite games. Now I'm going to play that game. Is there any way I could be above him in the leaderboard? I would like that a lot. Oh, gosh. All right. So question number one. Question one. Let's imagine that you're down at York Central Market. Yep. And a, a child wanders over to you about yep. four or five. Yep. And says, is Santa Claus real? Hell, Yeah. <laughs> Forget the kid. If you ask me, Santa Claus is real. All right. So then the same kid says, what do you do for a living? I'm Santa. No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, what, do, what do I do for a living? Mm-hmm. Uh, how, what do you do? How's this youngster? Would he understand uh, things like... Okay. Oh, he's kindergarten. Uh, I would say I do... I, I, I work with people who do cool stuff in communities. Like, we make cool stuff. I said, you know Santa? Remember we were just talking about Santa? Mm-hmm. I know Santa. And I, I put on events where he comes down and checks out what we're doing. Maybe gets a photo with you. Ah. In fact, he's coming to Central Market. I know. That's why I said that. That was a nice weekend. little plug. Boom. Central Market. <laughs> Cindy Steele, you hearing this? We love you, Central Market. All right. Uh, number three. Um, Wait, was that two? That was two. Yeah. yeah, that was two. That's right. It's just lightning. It's so yeah. fast. Um, so the third one is, if you could steal credit for anything, artwork, music, book, and it was okay, like no one's going to be upset with you, what would you want to steal credit for? Man, that is awesome. <laughs> Holy Hannah, that's an awesome question. I No hose barred. I could steal anything yeah. you call credit for? Like like uh, like Al Gore stole credit for the internet? Yeah. I, yeah. Really? Okay. Yeah. Wow, that's a cool question. <laughs> I, I, I want to be, I, I, my brain is trying to make it like real fancy. Like I want to, like I invented the comma, you know, cause that would be like a badass card. <laughs> the post-it. <Yeah. laughs> but I, yeah, I would say, uh, the comma, <laughs> the semicolon. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> the smiley face. Down with the semi. <laughs> I would love to, oh man, that's an awesome question. Holy sh! What, what did Tony say? <laughs> no, I was kidding. <laughs> uh, if it was anything, you know, it'd be neat if I could say like I invented jazz yeah. or I invented the blues. Yeah. Like I was the first guy to like riff something and go, "Oh, that sounds pretty." One good. of those like founding fathers. Yeah, yeah, that'd be cool. That'd be cool. I always said like I, I'm a, I love American history, and I always said how badass it would be to be in the room when the Constitution was being developed. Oh, like that would be yeah. kind of cool. Like I wouldn't yeah. care if I didn't sign or not, you but just be in the room. Be, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I can, <laughs> like, like the guy in the back. That's a bullshit, man. <laughs> you should make that an amendment. That's not the main part. Please get this guy out of the room. That's great. Who brought this guy? All right. Next question. Yeah. If tomorrow our country was overtaken by the animal kingdom. Those bastards. And we had to elect one animal breed to be our president. <laughs> who would you pick and wow. why? What the hell question? This is amazing. Do you know where these questions came from? These are a collection from articles that they tell people, managers, that they should add into their interviews for new hires to make wow. them fun. And I I'm would, like... I would never get hired. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like, who is that? 
He wants to invent the semicolon. <laughs> what the freak is this guy about? I know. I don't understand. <laughs> so I'm picking an eagle. animal? Yes, an animal breed. So imagine like... So the easy answer would say eagle because I'd be like, that's the closest thing to what we got now. America, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. Animal. <laughs> You're gonna have to listen to Tony's answer because it was like weird. the aardvark or something weird like that. No, he picks a bug. <laughs> I love you, Tony. <laughs> a bug? That's not even an ant. That's a type. That's a whole breed. That could be a million different things. I'm gonna be very specific now. A three-toed sloth. No, <laughs> this government is so slow. Um. Millions of podcasters clicking off. Like, just who is this guy? Um, should I stand true with my eagle? My first, my first go. Eagles are pretty badass. So, okay, it's an eagle, America. We love eagles. I mean, we watch them have babies. They are majestic. Yeah. yeah. Do you watch it? The, the <laughs> no, but I see it pop on it's my. Amazing. All the time. So would be watching. Like, did you see what's going on? I'm like, let me. I didn't see it, but let me. Let me put money on what happened. They sat in the nest and got fed. And screeched a lot. Did that? Did I cover it? I I'll wait for it gets on Netflix. From the highlights that I saw. The highlights. <laughs> I watch the eleven o'clock Sports Center. I wait for it to come on. The highlights. All right. So, if you had the ability to mandate a office practice that happened in offices, music, all across, music must be played in all offices. Is there a genre? No. Okay. I don't care. Just two. You can't country and western. You know, retail. They now like. Do the genre based off the generation that shops at certain times. Yes. Yes, I think that's get, a brilliant idea. I used to get complaints by employees because they were like, stop with the... It was usually big band. And I'm like, sorry, it's early in the morning. That generation shops. <laughs> <laughs> they like their big that's band. That's right. They get up early and Glenn Miller's playing. So. <laughs> what about what would you ban? Would I ban? Yeah, so you're making them play music. They have to have music in the Oh, what room. they have to get rid of? But what do they, like, absolutely know? Well, I, I would want to say smoking breaks because I don't like smokers, but that would be that would be cheap. Uh, let me say something else. Let me. Uh, what would I get rid of? Name tags. Name tags. Name tags. Does that include the ones on my desk? Like business cards? No, like if I have one of those. Oh, names. the little block thing, the nameplate. Do you need to know your name? <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm Doug. Right, Doug. That's what the plate says. Doug. I'm Doug. <laughs> no, I, th- I think I think name tags is is uh is yeah, it's just not needed. Like I would much rather train you up on how to say hello. My name is what's your name? You know, like I'd I'd much rather like the the more personal connection. Yes. You know, there's a joke somewhere, and I forget what comedian says it. Like if you're if you're if your profession still requires a name tag, you've made a serious vocational error somewhere in your life. If you've gone to a certain level, you know, and I think he was trying to play oh, off the whole like, you know, CEOs. Like, when was the last time you saw a CEO with a name tag on? And I, I think there's there's not really that's not totally true, but I like the idea of you know this the signification of a name tag. You don't. You don't need one. You don't need I one. used to always love that when I worked for Lowe's and executives would come visit and they'd put on the vest and they would have the little name tag that had their like big fancy title. I was yeah. like, that doesn't make sense to right. me. <laughs> What's going on? Because you're like in a suit with a vest. <laughs> like, I'll tell you, one thing. of the companies though, that I think is badass about things like this, if I get tangent for a second, I love like Southwest Airlines. I love that their senior leadership staff once a year, like they, they grab bags from a plane. You know, they, oh, yeah. Like they love when they do stuff like that. Like I love when 
when you remind the sea levels and all the uppity ups to, to remind you what you're actually doing, the core work of what you represent. Again, it's not that you're, you're not in the business of being in charge of the Excel spreadsheet for finance. Yeah. Like you have that because of all this stuff happening. And I love that. What's his name? Is it Kohler? What's, what's the guy's name who runs uh, Southwest? He, he was hell bent on making sure he does this every year. And now this whole C-suite people do it. Mm-hmm. Where they're just, yeah. they're bag smashers for the day. Like, it's time for you to learn that this is what we do. Yeah. I love stuff like that. I think that's great. Okay. Uh, so everybody has a great app idea. What app have you wished for existed? There's a lot of good apps. Now, as a BlackBerry user, I don't have many apps. <laughs> so if you could have one app that would show up for your BlackBerry, what would be the most useful for you? <laughs> it would be an app that would turn it into an Apple phone. <laughs> hey, all right. There's an app for that. Honestly, if I'm being very truthful, I'd love an app for a personal shopper. Mm. If there's a way that you can click and just say, like, I need two more suits and a pair of jeans yeah. <laughs> and just showed up. And I'm because I, 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 I don't I don't live in that world of being able to possibly ever have a personal shopper. So this is usually on my list of if you hit the lottery, what would you do with it? Yeah. Like, I, I you know pay off all debt from all my family, have all my younger cousins have scholarships to school, like all that stuff, as it chips a little away. And then somewhere in there I always say, like, I want a personal shop or a personal chef. So if there was an app, if there's any way I can just be like, yep, need a black shirt, need another hat, need a, you know, and just that, then it would just show up. That would be great. I wish I had one that I could just ask them what I could wear. Yeah. Like, today I have these meetings what should I wear? <laughs> My wife makes fun of me all the time because I say I say I'm so low maintenance. And I say I'm so low maintenance that it becomes high maintenance. Like I'm the biggest pain in the ass because I don't care enough about anything. Like she's always laughing at me about this. But I'm like, honest to God, I'm not asking anybody to do this, but I went through this phase where I was I call it my Johnny Cash phase, where I literally had like Four black suits and four black blazers and ten black T-shirts and black jeans and black pants. It was just black, all black. And, you know, it was, it was your emo phase where you were a theater kid. I was like, no, no. It was strictly out of ease. You didn't have to think about it in the morning. No, just boop, 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 done. It's the same thing. When you pack a bag, da, 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 you just grab one of everything, throw it in yeah. the bag. I mean, literally there was a time in my life where I would come home to my apartment. I'd put down a bag. I'd pick up another bag, and I'd be gone. So I was, <laughs> I was doing this so much that I said, you know what? I don't even want – I want everything uniform, and I'll just do it in black, and I'm good. And I went through this, and everyone's like, please, stop wearing just black. You're, you look like a mortician. This is <laughs> insane. You know, like – and then, of course, I have big hair, so everyone's like, are you the band? Like, no, 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 I'm not a band. I'm stage crew. I'm, sta- <laughs> I'm stage right, Mike, too. I just remember stage crew always dressed in black. That's my whole exposure to people who dress in black. A shout out to my man, Mike Pritchard, who was our stage crew guy for our DreamWorks Theater event I was just in. Yeah, all in the timing. Mike was our stage crew guy. Wore all black, looked yeah. very sharp. <laughs> Very sharp. He also played a very important role in our little vignette because we were playing Smoking Chimps. If you, just those of you who want to know, we were in a, a like of all in the timing. Our section was called Words, 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 where we were literally the cliche. We were three monkeys in a cage with typewriters who eventually would produce Hamlet. We were the three monkeys. Um, so when I acted up, I acted like a fool. Uh, he came on stage in now a lab coat in all his black, and he dangled a cigarette, which I took and. 
that calmed me down. So, shout out to Mike Pritchard, a great stagehand, wearing all black, fantastic shoes too. He had great dark shoes. That were black shoes are awesome. All right. So my last. Where, where did I go with that? What happened? I just blacked out for a second. But <laughs> what the hell? What was? I don't even remember. The, it what was, was the, the question? ab question. The ab question. Good lord. So you have a cat, right? Two. Two cats. Yes. And what are their names? <clears throat> the first one, the male, he's a heavyweight. The male. 16 pound. He's a big old cat. His official name is Lord Isaac, Duke of Earl Grey. <laughs> we call him Earl. Earl Grey. Uh, our other cat is the number two cat, a little smaller, female. Her official name is Lady Day Izzy Grey. So it's Earl and Izzy. <laughs> And <laughs> I, uh, I was never an animal person, not anti-animal. I just never had one. Um, and I lived in Washington for 16 years in an apartment no bigger than this room. So I, I felt it would be foolish to have anything. So I never had them. I was not really into having these cats when we first got them. And, uh, but they are fun as hell. They're ridiculously fun. And now I'm like... A, a ridiculous. I mean, I even have it as my screen on my BlackBerry. That's how that's how silly I am. Um, or I have Earl. I don't have Izzy, but it's a great picture of him. So my question is about Earl and Izzy. Yes. If I could interview them and they were going <laughs> to give me um, insight on you, what do you think they would share with us? Once or, again, where these questions came from. This is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> this, I sure hope I get the job. <laughs> Earl, Earl, because of Earl's personality. Earl is like me. So he would probably just look at you and sort of shake his head. Just shake it and sort of like, ugh. He's just, he's intolerable with his music. and Always writing on that laptopy thing that I just like to lay on. I think it's more of a couch, but he thinks it's like a writing tool. He's just intolerable. But he feeds us, so we'll give him props for that. Izzy, she has the personality of, like, Julie, the cruise director on the love boat. So she's, like, bouncy and stuff. And she would probably be like, he's fantastic and really takes care of us and does great things. But you should learn about me. My name is Izzy. And she'd go on her old thing talking about herself because she has that kind of personality. They literally are, like, Bonnie and Clyde. This is the most ridiculous. They they should be brother and sister. They are not. But they look the, like they're brother and sister. Wow. Yeah, and they're they're fun as hell. I'm not even an animal person, but I can't help it. It's so much so that I actually bought my wife uh, her birthday or something. I got her shirt. Uh, it's it's from Game of Thrones, but it says "Mother of Cats," so it looks instead of dragons because <laughs> they are like ridiculously loyal to her. Wow. Yeah, and they just tolerate me. Well, I think it's safe to say that this has been fun. <laughs> <laughs> I sure hope I get the job after those questions. <laughs> Do you have any final last words? Anything you want to plug uh, before we say farewell? I love you. <laughs> I love you. Um, no, this is this is really cool, and I was I was very honored to, that you asked me to do this um, because I, I believe that, uh, like I said, I talked about trust and relationships with the new currency, and I think I think uh, I'm freaking richer because of having a friend in you, and I really do. Uh, I, I love what you're about. I love what you're doing. I think you are moving the needle in so many different ways, even more than I think you realize. Uh, because it's easy to sort of stay in the lane of like, okay, I'm doing this work with this client, and that's what it is. 
um, for those of us who do it and, and much more in the nonprofit sector, we're always seeing the community mm-hmm. sort of bigger. And, uh, but it takes the, it takes people like you challenging the status quo and, and, and really putting, putting different spin on things to have others in the for-profit sector, perhaps realize that all these things are important and, and your, your self-esteem, your self-worth, your, your belief and love of your team, all that kind of stuff matters. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's it's I don't know it's just it's a lot of fun being with you and figuring out like okay what's the next thing we're gonna do <laughs> like let's figure out some things that we can we can tackle together so I I, I do appreciate you uh, asking me on and yeah and I hope my answers were okay your answers were fantastic <laughs> and I'm sure I will say this again in the outro and I will put links to all of your stuff in the show notes so people can find you thank um, you but definitely I love today got a really nice insight of the knowledge, the expertise that DK shares. Um, he is my primary connector to um, nonprofits has really helped kind of help me understand as I'm tackling that whole new um, industry because I have that's an, a whole sector that I'm not familiar with. And then on top of that, um, was one of the first few people that really helped me connect to our local community which is, um, you know, here in New York and really helping me kind of find my place and, and be able to feel like I can give something. So Nice. So thank you so much. Um, but, yeah, and we'll uh, peace out then. Yeah. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Well, I think I cut Doug off a little bit early there, but I think he was trying to say peace. But thank you so much for taking the time to listen to my interview with Douglas D.K. Knight on The Grateful Showcase. He was guest number two of the 2017 Showcase. And next week, I'll be coming to you with guest number three. This is my last featured guest from the Gentleman's Architecture Conference this year that happened. One of the architects, Mr. Ryan McShane. And you'll... You don't want to miss this podcast episode because one of the things that I love about Ryan and I love doing podcasts with him, which he was the sole, pretty much the sole inspiration for doing podcasts for the Gentleman Architecture Conference is that when he gets going, he just has so much inspiration that he shares off of one kind of prompt. He just has that ability to do a free flow and share. And the interview for next week is no disappointment. And so you do not want to miss it. So join me next week for um, Ryan McShane's Grateful Showcase interview. And if you love this interview, we would greatly appreciate it if you would leave us a review on iTunes. That's the number one way to get our eye to get the podcast moving up the charts and getting it out there to the world. You can also leave a review on Stitcher because we're on Stitcher too for anybody who's an Android user and not into iTunes. And last but not least, if you um, know anybody who you think would really love this podcast or benefit from this episode specifically, please feel free to share it using any social media channel that you would like. And then um, also, if you had any thoughts that you would like to share with us, please don't hold back. Send me an email. I love getting emails in regards to the podcast. They're part of the reason that I continue to do these episodes and it's been around for the last five 
five years? Wow, I'm jumping the gun here. Three years. That's why it's been around for the last three years. My email address is Sam with two M's, S-A-M-M at leadershipisart.com. Other than that, have a great week and I will talk to you next week. See ya. Bye.